Is Dead or Alive 6 taking a big risk by toning down the risque content? Plus, Dragon Ball Fighters gets its own fancy world tour, Level Up runs into trouble with YouTube, and we share some tips on how to train online while avoiding developing those pesky bad habits. This is the Event Hubs Podcast. Perfect. All right, and uh, we're back with episode three of the Event Hubs podcast. Now, we normally try to do these around Wednesday, and we aimed for Wednesday this week, but through a a crazy, weird turn of events, it just so happens that uh, although we recorded, spent a few hours editing and such, (laughs) ended up deleting last uh, week's podcast, or uh, I should say Wednesday's podcast. So we are uh, a little bit late, and we apologize for that, but we're here to get things started now and, and... Looking forward to a, a whole new podcast, actually, because we're going to talk today about a few different topics, the first of which just came out this morning. It's the Dead or Alive 6, a game that people didn't expect to see. I think that there were a few messages on social media and such, announcements from Team Ninja, kind of uh, alluding to the idea that Dead or Alive wasn't going to be too much of a thing moving forward. But lo and behold, just before E3, we have a new announcement about Dead or Alive 6. It's in the works. It is coming. And one of the most interesting things <laughs> that came up about it, there's a recent interview with IGN, and they were talking about uh, what to expect, a few things to expect here. If you've been at all familiar with the Dead or Alive series, one of the first things you think of is, well, boobs and sexuality and the way that they have made that a staple of their game. When you think of Dead or Alive, you think of the girls mm-hmm. scantily clad. The, the men, too, they, they, they sexualize just about all yep. of their characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the producers here, or the developer, said, we wanted to make a more cool and mature Dead or Alive this time, and to that end, we made a conscious decision to make the characters less sexualized. I know you wanted to talk about this specifically. So we have a Dead or Alive coming out. Everyone's excited, of course, but it's going to be less sexualized. What does that say to you? I mean, first off, I will say that, you know, when they, uh, I think it was one of the, was it Final Round? They said they had a big announcement about the Dead or Alive franchise. And I think that at that point in time, they said Dead or Alive 5 was going away. And I think everyone was pretty sad about that because these games have had a very nice presence in our fighting game community. Uh, They get ripped on a lot for the over-sexualization of their characters, but that's what this franchise is. Uh, we were talking about this before, and it's kind of like taking the blood and fatalities out of Mortal Kombat. This is Dead or Alive. Like ever since their inception, they've they've got you know big bouncing boobs and you know bare chest and sweat and characters pretty much wearing as little clothes as humanly possible while still actually being under the category of wearing clothes. That's what they Spin-offs do. Spinoffs where they're where they're just playing volleyball and it was completely for the sake of of sexualization. Like that was the entire appeal, I think, to beach volleyball, right? Well, I mean I mean, did you did you play it? I didn't or, I don't I, mean... I wasn't old enough. I remember watching SmackDown on Thursday nights and having that commercial come on more than once. And after the first or second oh, okay. time that popped on, I was like, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing that commercial. I'm going to stick around my my 14-year-old self or whatever, you know, my, my adolescent right. brain at the time. But no, I never played it. I, I'm sure I would not have been allowed to play it. Uh, I probably had to change the channel if my mom was in the room at the time. Uh, but but no, like right. very much that was one. It was, it was, you know, just beautiful virtual girls as scantily clad as possible. That's what the whole message, the underlying message for that was. Yeah, funny story just reminded me, actually, when I went to go buy Dead or Alive 5, uh, I took my wife with me and we went into like Software Center or like uh, wherever it was, uh, GameStop, I guess it is now. But um, we were in there and the lady who was ringing me up was like, oh, she's like, well, I hope you enjoy your boobs and butts because like you're in for a show. Right you in know, front kind of your thing. wife. Like really just, yeah, right in front oh, of my wife. She thank was, like, you, really wingman lady <laughs> at Simutech or whatever, gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm actually buying this for work, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, and literally I was. I like, I, you know, try to play the games and keep up with them and all that. But yeah, that was a that was a fun experience. But I mean, again, it's like, it's fine. I don't care. It's like, that's what these games are for. It's uh we talked a little bit about Mortal Kombat versus DC where they remove the fatalities and other things. And look, the fatalities, like I personally do not like them. Uh, they're too intense for me. They kind of make me sick and whatnot, but that's what the series is. And like, you take that away. It's like, what are you doing? Like, that's the core of what you are. So I'm a little curious. Like the, the quote is, we made a conscious decision to make the characters less sexualized in their interview with IGN is what the, the dead or alive six developers said. I'm curious how long that, that's going to last because people give you a lot of feedback and a lot of times that feedback is not worth anything actually at all. When they talked about Dead or Alive 5, 
a lot of the feedback they got there was like, hey, take the male characters and give them just as many costumes and, you know, make sure you're equal and all that kind of stuff. And then the Dead or Alive team went back and looked at their DLC sales and they're like, no one's buying the male costumes that look like this. Everyone's buying the female costumes. This was one of the worst pieces of advice we've ever gotten. We're, you know, we're not going to stop making male costumes, but we're pretty much going to stick more with the female stuff and... Look, I mean, at the end of the day, they have to make a product that people are actually going to buy. People are going to say a lot of things, but the reality of what they actually do is quite a bit different. Yeah. And and so this Dead or Alive has very much been a visual game. Um, you We've we've covered in the past when they come out with these huge expansive uh, story, not story, I'm sorry, uh, DLC costume packs. And it's just like hundreds of, of new costumes and such for like a million different characters and they run like a hundred bucks or something ridiculous like that or 70 bucks, I don't know. And and you go like any other game, looking at costume packs, it's never to that magnitude and gravity. Um, but I want to be careful and I don't want to try to like, or come across as boiling down Dead or Alive to simply a, a, a sexualized thing. Like it very much is a fighting game. It has a loyal fan base that is there for much more than just uh, I want to see jiggly boobs and stuff um, on the screen. And and the follow-up quote to what we just uh, quoted from the IGN article that continues, it goes, The female characters are still attractive, as are the men, but first and foremost, they are fighters. And so it sounds like the team is trying to make this, like they want their image to shift a, at least a little bit to, this is a game that I want not only our core audience that is already playing to take seriously, I want more people uh, outside of that within the fighting game realm and then within the, just the general public to take this game more seriously as, as a fighting game first. And I think that's admirable, and I think that Dead or Alive has, of course, enough substance beyond the boobs, if we will, to to be that. It's just going to be a, a hard battle to fight to grab it to, to change your image as you know that that's always true no matter no matter who you are and what situation mm-hmm. you're in trying to change your image is a big deal yep. and this is the sixth iteration of the, in, in the franchise you know so so it's been around for a really long time and and a, a little bit more uh, this is not a quote this is just what the IGN article says but in Dead or Alive 6 female characters breasts no longer jiggle and bounce in the exaggerated fashion the series became increasingly known for right. and the costumes we have seen are less revealing um, female characters are depicted in a more natural way, which makes them feel more human and believable than before. And so there are certainly pluses to garner from that as well and in the grand scope of this as a fighting game. And, and I think that a lot of this is probably motivated by uh, the Dead or Alive team wanting to move towards esports um, and, and not so much in, in the casual realm. And so and I think a huge, you know, a huge... Uh, one of their incentives to to bring people in was the sexualization, and that's great and all, but that's pretty cheap as far as you know esports goes. You're not going to get into a game because it has boobs, and then all of a sudden also be into it because you want to make a lot of money off of it, and it's going to be like a professional kind of sport, esport kind of a thing. But as we've seen with um, you know so many other fighting games, the esports push in the fighting game community has been massive. You know, you got E League mm-hmm. going on today. You have uh, you know like the Dragon Ball, which we'll get into in a little bit. Dragon Ball Fighters uh, League announced and things like that. Like this, this is the train you want to be on. And I think we're seeing the Dead or Alive team do what they can to tastefully jump over onto the train. Um, and and I and I hope the best for them because because this has been a staple of the fighting game community for quite some time. Not usually a headline game, but there's like I said before, a very strong following, and I think that the Dead or Alive uh, community deserves a chance at this. So I'm intrigued, a little bit sad to see the sexualization go, of course, because that's what Dead or Alive has been. But that's fine. I, I'm excited to see where they go with this. Yeah. I, the gameplay, I mean, they talk about improving, you know, uh, the gameplay and making it like more realistic and all that. Like the gameplay is already there. These games are tournament tested tough. And it just seems a little bit like a knock on their fans. Like, hey, look, you know, the gameplay wasn't what we wanted it to be for. It's like, look, like the gameplay was already good. Like it's dead or alive. It's still, it's what the fans expect from the series. People weren't, you know, out in the streets and crying and be like, ah, oh, dead or five, dead or alive five's gameplay was horrible. You know, kind of thing. What did these guys do with it? It's like pretty much most people respected what the franchise did. It was a continuation of what they've always done. And my big problem here is fighting games are niche products. You do not 
you do not have a mass audience out there that's going to, you know, buy these games in droves. Like, they're not going to sell 10 million copies anyway, just because, you know, they've dialed back the the sexuality and, you know, they've made it more realistic and whatnot. Like, you're not going to sell a bunch more products and whatnot. It's, these are, are games that appeal just to a small audience anyway, and you kind of, you go to that audience, and if you get a few, you know, a million or more copies, like, sold extra than you expected, like, great, you've, you've released a great product, you know, kind of thing. But I don't know, I, I, it's bothering me that these companies are acting like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to compete, like, with Smash Brothers, you know, kind of thing, or we're going to compete with, uh, compete with uh, Call of Duty or Halo. It's like, no, you're not. Like, you have no shot at competing with these games. You're not going to hit that broad of an audience. Like, don't crap on your fans of the franchise. Like, and again, I want to be careful and not say, like, you know, the, the devs are, like, totally crapping on, like, the existing fans of the franchise, but it does feel like a little bit too much of a, a hard right turn. And it's like, look, like, respect what got you here. Again, there's plenty of places for smut and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of Dead or Alive, you know. And and the fact that, like, they're just openly, like, crapping on that. It's not every game needs to be that. You know, if I saw that, like, in a Zelda game, I'd be like, what the heck is going on? Like, yeah. that's completely inappropriate. I want to play this game with my kids and other things like that. There's no room for it. But it's like, okay, hey, the kids are in bed, you know, everyone's gone, like, let's play some Dead or Alive or something like that. There you go. You know, that's the time and place for that. And it's, that's what the games are, are built on. It's just, it's, it's a little sad for me to see the developers kind of harping on their past so much here. And it's like, look, like, respect what you guys have been. And yeah, but I, I think we've kind of beat the subject into the ground a little bit. Like, you know, um, so we'll see if it holds up. I'm a little skeptical uh, that this is going to be like the long term outcome uh, of their of their game. You know, I, I have a hunch like they may change courses, but but we'll see. Uh, but what one thing I did want to talk about, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you here, is simple commands. Uh, they did talk a little bit about having like their super moves. Basically, like a super move was not an okay thing to have in a 3D fighting game. And now that's kind of changed. And I think it's just accessible with like a one button, you know, kind of command and whatnot. And they're, they're saying that the simple commands, they're not going to enable like, you know, a beginner player to beat a pro player, but they might be able to land like a super move on them. And it seems like we're kind of seeing a lot of, you know, simple commands come into all fighting games like Ed with Street Fighter V and Falk. Uh, both those characters have simpler commands. Uh, they have the more complicated ones, too. And it just does seem like that's kind of a way that we're kind of heading into the future with fighting games. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, so we've been covering the the new games that have been coming coming out, obviously, you know, since Event Hub started. But in recent years, and I think it, well, maybe maybe starting with like Rising Thunder and then Street Fighter um, to an extent, Street Fighter V, it's been a trend that has, it, it seemed like it popped up overnight with simpler commands, simpler execution. Uh, the idea behind that being making these games more inviting to players that haven't played before um, and in easier to integrate into. Uh, and that's become a standard overnight. And now you're seeing virtually every single game. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite had, um, you know, dial-in combos that you could do. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighters has dial-in combos you can do. Now there is, uh, we're seeing it in Dead or Alive. It, it seems like it's just overnight, like I said, this has become the new way of going about it. And that doesn't mean the game itself is super simple or that it's easy to just, like, win the game. It's just that it's easy to do things that are satisfying very quickly. Right. And and I mm -hmm. think that there is there's a lot there because mm -hmm. I think whether it be in, you know, like like media or, or video games or whatever, if you can bring in your audience on, on the simple level and you can appease people there. And this is something Nintendo is great at. I think we can use Nintendo as a, as a good example here. But if you can bring in your audience and, and people can have fun at the entry level and then choose to venture into the higher levels if they want, that's the perfect approach. Have something for everybody. Right. Now, um, fighting games are not quite, you know, Mario Tennis. I was playing the the demo for Mario Tennis on the on the Switch the other day and and like I said, you know, almost all of Nintendo games it seems like they're hits and they're super fun and they're super easy to get into and then you can level up and you can really get into the nitty-gritty where things like, you know, like you can do you can serve you can serve a ball in Mario Tennis, but then you can also like if you do it with a just frame, you can manipulate things and you can build up your meter and you can do your trick shots and then you can counter the trick shots and it becomes very intricate very fast mm. but you can also just hit the a button and serve the ball back and forth and you can have fun doing that now how do you get that into a fighting game well it's not quite as simple because 
the risk reward is 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 interesting in fighting games and um if you if you benefit the the reward too much then you have like this dumbed down version of a game and if you make it too too hard to do and and you make the risk too high and and then people just get destroyed by the few that have spent time in it that's no fun either and you're not going to get any new people and so um, we're seeing a huge push uh, from developers of fighting games to to be fun immediately as well as down the road and where traditionally it's been only that down the road where you've really studied where you know the frame data where you have one frame links and all those kinds of things that's when you can really start having satisfaction and fun um, I do not I do not envy the developers of fighting games with this uh, kind of uh, an obstacle in front of them but I do think it's something necessary to at least have in mind and I don't know what the right answer is in terms of do we need to have just like single button inputs because if you do that like in Rising Thunder and then like with characters like Ed or Falk like you mentioned in Street Fighter V you're taking away a lot of execution and execution is a part of you know a spectator sport Mm-hmm. Um, you like as an audience member, you appreciate when when Daigo lands the the ridiculous evil Ryu combo at Stunfest on Momochi a couple years ago, right? Like you're like, wow, that was amazing, and it was done in tournament, you know. Um, and then it's like, well, what if your combos are all just like real easy dial-in combos nowadays? Then, well, you've just gotten rid of one of those avenues of entertainment for your for your audience. And we're trying to build up an audience as as spectator sports, right? That's one of the main things about esports. So you go, well, how much do I dial it back there? Um, but you also have to have people playing your game. And if it's way too hard to do stuff, then uh, then it's then you're not going to have people sticking around long enough to to get good and to to go for it. So it's a very delicate balance. And I and I'm like I said before, I don't have the answer. I do not envy these developers that are having to try to find the answer. But I, I'm I'm willing as a fighting game player, I'm willing to be patient and see what works and see what doesn't because they're going to go through failures on the way to success. Right? There's going to be these stepping stones of failure as they try to figure it out. And hopefully they can figure it out sooner rather than later. But I mean, it's it's no easy task. One of the funny things that, that you're bringing up that reminded me of Street Fighter Four of all things, where Capcom said from the very get-go they were planning on making the game more dialed back and easier to pick up and play. And by the end of the game's lifespan, it actually ended up being probably the most complex Street Fighter game we've ever had because of all the option selects and all the different things that you kind of had to juggle. So from an execution standpoint, it the game got ridiculous and everyone was so fearful that, you know, they were making Street Fighter dumb and, you know, parries were gone and so everything was going to be, you know, crappy again and... It's you have the right attitude. You want to wait and see and get your hands on the game and then actually put it through its paces and see if it still holds up anymore. Some games don't, you know, some games don't. They have big issues there. But for the most part, like the fighting game developers, as long as they don't stray too far from what they've done, they've been doing this for a long time. The games usually come out with pretty high quality in terms of execution and gameplay and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not too worried about it. I just I think it's an interesting trend that they're they're moving towards. One of the other trends that they, they do have, though, with this game is a more realistic look. I don't know, like that one's kind of that one's kind of getting me a little bit, actually, too. Uh, because traditionally that hasn't worked out too well in fighting games. And I'm going to mention a uh, dirty word here, so I'll drop a dollar in the jar. But uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, they went with a realistic look and the fans were not happy about that at all. And and again, I, I actually think Dead or Alive 6 looks pretty darn good. I just watched a trailer, looked at screenshots, looks pretty good. I, I don't have any you know major objections so far, but... Again, you've got to be careful how much you stray from formulas that have worked really well. You want to always evolve and make something new, but not too far off course from what you've done. You know, it's cool that you bring that up. Um, One of the next things in the interview or in the article from IGN, they talk about how in the past they haven't done as much. Well, here, I'll just read this a little bit here. It says, it doesn't mean that Team Ninja is being excessively conservative for the art direction of DOA 6. Rather, the exaggerated looks of characters has taken a back seat to a more realistic and natural approach. And um, one of the other ways, like, so so it's like we're going to get rid of the sexualization a little bit. We're going to tone that down. But what a thing that they're toning up in place of that is, is the actual damage that happens to the characters over the course of the fight. Mm-hmm. They didn't used to do as much, I, I think, especially uh, especially the female characters. And I'm not an expert on this, but just from reading the article, it sounded like they did it more to the men than it, they did to the women. 
but now they're going to have more damage done to the characters as they fight. So, you know, bloody face and black eyes and, and ripped clothes and all that kind of stuff. They're going to be focusing more on that uh, to, to further, you know, like it's still a visual game. It's just not a sexual visual. Right. And um, and so, but to go back to your point about MVCI, you're right. And and I think it was, there were multiple problems, but I think the biggest problem was the art direction and it was the execution of the visuals in that game. That game was based on comics. And traditionally speaking, it was more of a cartoon, more of a comic look than, than of course, Dead or Alive. And Dead or Alive has, from the beginning, geared toward the realistic look. And so that's what expectations are. And and fans' expectations during MVCI were completely not met. Mm -hmm. Um, Chun-Li looked bad. Uh, And that was what kind of started it all, and it got the focus there. But there were more things, too. And and, and when you look at, like, the characters like Mega Man, like Hulk, Iron Man, well, Iron Man with his mask on, those characters were fine. Jetta, that he looked fine, right? And and but the characters that we had problems with, Chun Li, Dante, Chris, uh, Spencer, <laughs> the common theme through all of those, they're human faces. And the human faces, like they got caught between the comic book world and between the realism world, and the characters with like, like human faces looked bad with where they landed on the spectrum. You need to go way more real or way more comic booky, but they got caught in this bad place that just made them look horrible, and they didn't have a home. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't on either side, and, and they were just kind of lost out there in this weird, funky in-between. And I think that was a huge hit. I don't think that Dead or Alive will fall into that, and I think that Dead or Alive is more of a game that that is primed because of its past and because of its focus on uh, realism realism in the past that maybe they're the ones that can go in this direction and maybe they're the ones that when they look like this like like and, and I think Mortal Kombat can probably do this too um, where like they, they they have these like beat up looking characters and maybe it's striking and uh, but it adds like a level of severity to the game and and therefore a level of appreciation of the art because Team Ninja has made really good looking characters they've mm-hmm. made their game pleasant to look at mm-hmm. again we keep coming back to this but sexual in the past, who, what's to say that they can't do that on just like this other this other avenue in this other avenue with this other approach where they just make the game look really intense and and physically kind of violent um, and real and you go wow like I kind of maybe not for a long period of time but at least for a little short bursts I want to look and see how this how this happens you know and and if they do go esports and if they do like kind of appear to a general audience. And someone just, you know, like walking by and it's on a TV in some place and it's like, you know, just in the window somewhere and they look and they double take and they go, whoa, that looks really good. And oh my gosh, look at the blood coming out of her eyebrow, you know, like oh, let's, 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 let's take a second and see what happens here. You might get more heads turned, you might get more eyes on your game. And so it's, it's a lot of unknown right now, but I do applaud Dead or Alive for at least taking these risks and we'll see exactly what they mean. You know, we, we know very little right now. And so there's a lot to speculate, not a lot to actually go off of. But it sounds like there is potential in this move, and I am excited to see where they go, how things are executed, how the community takes them, and see what happens with Dead or Alive 6. It's an interesting storyline that we just kind of started today. Mm-hmm. Yep, there it is. All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit also about uh, the Dra- Dragon Ball Fighters World Tour that they're working on. I'm personally about as excited as can be with this. The other pro circuits that we've had established now for Tekken and for NRS games, uh, they've taken off and done really well. Obviously, Capcom titles as well. They've given a kind of a whole new life for the communities. Uh, a lot of the pro players now are able to make a living, you know, going out there and doing this. The, the points distribution and all that kind of stuff, it adds so much energy uh, to a game right now that's actually on top, as far as I know, in terms of entrance and mm-hmm. kind of the hype levels right now. So, I'm personally like just about as excited as can be. We know almost no details about it at all. You know, they just basically have confirmed that, hey, we're going to be making a Dragon Ball Fighters, you know, pro circuit. Stay tuned, you know, kind of thing. But I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that as well. Yes, this this idea of a of a circuit of of a schedule with with multiple stops on a tour, we kind of saw it come to the forefront with the Capcom Pro Tour a few years ago, and it has been successful, not without its problems, of course, but it's been successful and evolving, and people are widely happy with it. It's something to talk about on a weekly basis. You get to see the competition outside of just the in, like individual screenshots of like who won this tournament. Oh, that was good. Okay, well, we'll remember that. So you can say, you know, Tokido won, you know, whatever event. 
But now it's like Tokido won this event and he got this many points and that puts him in this position on this chart and you can go back to it and there's it's more of a cohesive environment for all of the tournaments that play out over the year and it's a way to track players better and ultimately it's a way to continue to keep interest from the audience on what's going on in these games so you have that for street fighter which is a necessary like it's a must because of the the gravity and the impact that street fighter has in the fgc and now we have one for tekken as well and tekken has been um rising on for for multiple reasons it's a very exciting game to watch and it's been around for quite some time so i think it, it absolutely deserves this but also the introduction of the Tekken World Tour gives even more people a reason to watch Tekken. Mm -hmm. New people a reason to watch Tekken, and we've seen boosts in numbers for Tekken. Great for them, good for the FGC as a whole. And and we've also seen it with some NRS games, Mortal Kombat X and Injustice have had their little pro tours and stuff too. I shouldn't say little, their pro tours as well. And it's become this normal thing, especially for the bigger games in fighting game esports. And to see it you know the gravity that we've seen surrounding Dragon Ball fighters it's now contending for like the most popular fighting game um and, and I'll just really quickly there are mostly bigger numbers for Dragon Ball than there are for Street Fighter but it's still riding that initial wave and we're also seeing a lot of DQs and people not show up to tournaments so um I take that with a grain of salt either way though like there are huge numbers for it there's huge interest it's right up there if it's not number one it's number two and I think it will be for quite some time. And as such, it very much deserves this. It's only, having a tour like this is only going to continue to bolster and buttress this game. And again, what's good for these individual games is good for the FGC as a whole. And so to see this, I think it was only a matter of time. I'm almost kind of surprised that it took this long. The game's been out for uh, about five months now. And um, But now we finally have it. The first stop is at CEO, which is... Uh, uh, later this month or, or maybe in early july i'm not sure oh june 29th here we go so yeah first stop ceo june 29th so about uh three weeks away or so and yeah it it should be very interesting and i think that just like the pro tour just like the the injustice tours and the and the tekken tour this will be a very good look for dragon ball fighters and Arxis has shown that they've done a pretty good job of observing the successes and failures of other games and so hopefully they're going to stand on what they've learned from like the pro tour over the last couple of years and the Tekken world tour and start their tour off at a higher clip and not have to go through the same lessons that other other tours have had to go through. So this is looking really, really good for Dragon Ball fighters through and through. One of the things I wanted to talk about was the grassroots nature of the pro tours that people have actually put in place. Back before the Capcom Pro Tour happened, there was a lot of discussion of very large companies getting involved in the esports space and what that would mean for tournaments like CEO, Evo, Final Round. A lot of people kind of felt like the whole grassroots nature of our community was basically going to go away because you can't compete with... Uh, a, I want to be really careful about like naming names and putting in a bad light, but big companies, basically. A big corporation. It's, you know, the CEO is never going to compete with, you know, the, the biggest corporations on the planet and whatnot. But that's our fighting game community. That's where we grew up from. That's it's the grassroots nature of, of our existence. And so what these companies have done is they've taken their pro tours and tied it into what was already there. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate that, like, because these companies could have, like, said, hey, you know what, uh, we're going to sell uh, the Pro Tour and all this other stuff for millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, sorry, Evo, sorry, CEO, you guys are, you know, out in the cold. We don't really care about you guys. Uh, and these companies have taken a stand and said, hey, look, these are, this is where we came from. This is a fighting game community. We're going to support this and build on top of what's already there. And, and I've actually, I've been very impressed with most of the way things are handled. Nothing's perfect. You know, there's always been mistakes along the way, but overall, they've actually been able to find a very nice middle ground with finding a community of staying with our, our local events and supporting those and, and getting those built up. And also, you know, bringing in stuff like E-League, uh, which is just phenomenal for what it is. And, and you know, Evo is even bigger. Uh, Capcom Cup is huge. You know, we've got the, the, the giant, you know, mega productions that happen now and they're just wonderful to see. But it's, we also have, you know, if you want to go to a monthly and compete with some of the best players, 
you can find him out there, you know, and you can you can possibly get points and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, maybe one point if you finish in seventh, but we'll we'll, we'll avoid that one for <laughs> right now. But uh, anyway, but like I said, things aren't perfect, but there's there's quite a bit these companies have done to to stay true to our roots, which is just so wonderful to see. And I'm I'm hoping, and again, I, it's Namco Bandai, our Bandai Namco, I should say, they're they're going to stick to it as well. They're they've done a great job with the Tekken Pro Tour, and and here we go. So. Yeah. So so as big of the reservations as you know can can possibly be when you're talking about esports and you're thinking about the big bad corporate guys in suits coming in and changing all of the you know just sterilizing everything and making it all about the money there's going to be an element to that there there is some validity and people being afraid of that but what we have seen so far like you said is is it, it is really wonderful mm-hmm. that they're coming in it's like no we're not going to just like you know erase everything and do our own thing we're going to kind of integrate with you guys and as a result look how big combo breaker was this year right. look how big ceo moves to daytona right. um, evo now has like you know the day three and the giant arena um, and and like we've seen growth left and right and and so it seems like a lot of this has been a, a pretty harmonious relationship um, and I'm sure there are people that that have different opinions about it and you could probably dialogue for days about the whole you know juxtaposition with esports and grassroots and where the FGC is at but um, at least with the points that you bring it up here it, it very much has been a positive in a lot of important ways we've seen a lot of growth from it so I I'm pretty happy with where we're at so I'd like to talk a little bit about another situation that came up with Level Up and their YouTube channel. So I love YouTube, like in terms of like watchability and just how easy it is that you can watch it on any device like that's ever existed. Like if you, you've got a rock that was made in the last couple of years, you can watch YouTube on it somehow. It, it, it works with everything. It's great. But there's kind of like to peel back the curtain here a little bit for content creators on YouTube, like life is not so easy there. And I don't think uh, a lot of people are privy to kind of this stuff unless they produce their own content. And recently, Level Up's uh, YouTube channel got banned very unjustly and kind of out of nowhere. Thankfully, someone from YouTube kind of jumped in and, and you know, resolved the issue very quickly. Uh, but for channels did, that... Did we find out why? Like, because it's just like randomly you said unjustly, like... What what's the grounds like? Why do people get banned? I've heard of I've heard of people that are like politically charged in one direction or another getting banned on YouTube, um, but that's its own you know conversation. But as far as level up goes, like why would you why would you ban a a, a channel like that? Uh, the word on the street is uh, algorithm error. You know, basically someone's uh, saying the site is like spamming or are doing something they should not be, and you know those those complaints got built up like a, basically a bug in the system. Some people are lucky enough to to get out on that that note and like have their channels restored. Uh, other people who aren't as big may not have that benefit. And YouTube is kind of notorious for like, hey, we don't communicate with you. Like you have a problem, fix it yourself. And we're not going to tell you what the problem is. We'll give you a general message of what went wrong. Uh, this is not the first or last content creator on their platform to be like, uh, and, and Level Up didn't say anything bad to him, but I'll just say uh not the first or last to kind of get jerked around by their company. And again, thankfully YouTube stepped in and, and helped out. Like they actually communicated on Twitter. <laughs> like a, It's like, Oh wow. Hey, there's a YouTube like employee, like they exist, you know, kind of thing. they actually have like faces and like personalities. Wow. I, I didn't know. Um, but it's, it can be a really difficult platform to get your content on there and not have it completely messed up by a variety of regulations and guidelines that are about as cloudy and murky as can be. And again, so if you do see your favorite content creator go on other platforms and, and they say, look, like we know you love YouTube, but like we're trying to go to other places because of X, Y, and Z, try to support them out there and realize that YouTube can be completely horrible to people and how they treat them and just giving them no information and not working with them in any way, shape or form and just leaving them guessing at what they have to do to, to be up to compliance. So again, thankfully, I'm hoping YouTube like, you know, changes their, their story here and like the, how they work with people. Uh, but you still hear horror stories come up and, and just recently... Again, we just have another one here with Level Up. And it's an unfortunate situation that was thankfully resolved uh, with some help, I think, from Darkside Phil, of all people. Uh, hmm. Our commenters love him, apparently, and we're shocked that he would step in and help people. But yeah, he's a human being, too, and he's a content creator. He cares about this stuff as well. So so, so I'm looking at the story that we did here, um, and it says that uh, Level Up's YouTube channel is no longer suspended. Co-founder Level Up Jimmy Nguyen, Nguyen uh, took to Twitter to bring followers the good news and thank everyone for their support. So it sounds like we're back in business fully and everything's okay. It was just a hiccup in the system and, and Level Up got off without too many bruises. 
That sounds like it, it's that way for me. I'm, I'm hoping it you know, kind of stays that way, but I'm sure other people are going to be going through this too. Uh, I, I saw even in our comments on Twitter, like a few other people saying, hey, thank you for the, you know, the guide on how to fix this and whatnot and, and stabilize it. But in probably another six months to a year, other random channels are going to get banned again for reasons they don't know. And YouTube is going to be very difficult to reach and to follow up with. And that's just, that's their MO. That's how they do business. Uh, and it's been that way pretty much uh, since their inception. So cool beans well <laughs> hopefully <laughs> i mean because cool well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean because the fighting game community through and through we rely so much on youtube as yep. a resource mm-hmm. whether it be you know like here on event hubs we go there for for content all the time to share with people mm-hmm. um, but it's also where people go to to watch match footage to learn about things to post you know stuff it's 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 such a like a watering hole kind of place and and to to see it like not be optimal and and to have these kind of issues is kind of like oh man that really sucks because like I'm, I'm sure we could get by without youtube as it exists right now um but but it, man it, it's such a resource so I, I really do hope for the best for for how this whole thing plays out and i hope that they can get their act together and things can get regulated in an, in an appropriate way and, and everything can be all right at least on the fighting game community front um so fingers crossed there yeah me too me too so I did want to talk to you about something else that came up recently. I, I heard uh, maybe online on Twitter, uh, maybe in our Skype channels for event hubs that someone got Grandmaster Rank in Street Fighter V. <laughs> I, I don't know who that might be, but uh, do you have any information on that? Uh, yeah, so I recently got finally up to uh, Grandmaster Rank online, and <laughs> I come from the Arizona fighting game community, which I think is a little bit more conservative than most other fighting game communities. And in that, by that I mean, like online play is a little bit shunned. People will play online here and everything, but just because you do well online does not mean you're um, an accomplished player by any means. Um, The reason for that is because when you play online and when you incorporate lag, uh, you know the precision in fighting games and maybe more so in games like Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 3 and such not as much in Street Fighter 5 because of the uh, the execution and, and the fact that there aren't really one frame links and stuff like that but the precision goes down a little bit because of random lag and things like that and Street Fighter 5 has been pretty good um, relatively speaking in, in the realm of, of you know being able to play online, finding decent matches, at least in my experiences, especially compared to Street Fighter 4, but it's not perfect. And so what you when you play online, there's this suddenly this environment where because there's a little bit of extra lag, you can very well much more often get away with things that are, are risky. Um, or, or that are, are easier to counter offline and you can easily base your play around doing these things that will work when you have that lag factor a lot more often than when you go offline and when you face off against people with, uh, you know, with offline conditions. And so it, it's like online training grounds can very easily become a place that just produce scrubby tactics where where you know you do the thing and it's not safe but it's hard to punish because there's going to be this little bit of an of a delay and then so you can get away with it things like that and so um I have have really taken you know any any and all online accomplishments with a grain of salt. That's not to say that there is nothing behind it and that online isn't an amazing resource. Uh, but like I, I mean, I'll turn it over to you. When you see someone has has done very well um, in the online realm, when they've when they've made it to you know like the the grandmaster rank, for instance, what do you think of them as as a player? Like what just what immediately comes to mind? I'll answer your question in more of a indirect way. People love to knock down other people's accomplishments in life. It's like, you know, hey, I got a new job or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. They're like, ah, whatever, you know, kind of thing. And I don't think that being a Grandmaster player online means you're, you know, in line to win Evo, you know, kind of thing. But it's an accomplishment. You know, it's it's a gold star by your name. Like, hey, look, like that's not a nothing thing. Like you put in time and effort and dedication and you are able to rise above what, like, I don't know, like, uh, all but like 3%, 4%, 5% of the online players there, you know, kind of thing. You're in a, a pretty rare category. And again, it's a, it's a nice accomplishment. You know, it, it shows. And again, you've, you've made your way out of pools in a, a few tournaments, you know, kind of thing. You've placed at a decent amount. You've got a few Capcom Pro Tour points, right? 
Um, I had one last year. I don't know oh. if I do this year right. for combo breaker or not. But see, you're so cool. You don't even have like you don't even know if you have points or not. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> but your name shows up in the results. You know, kind of thing. Like we've we've got you up there a few times. It, it's something. You know, kind of thing. It's it's something to be proud of. And people are always going to tell you, oh, you know, it's online. It doesn't matter. And yeah, like leg and other things like that are definitely going to affect your experience online. But the game does not completely change from offline to to online it's still 90, 95% the same game. Now, in that 5 to 10%, you know, area, there could be a pretty big difference. And I get some things will work online much better than they work uh, offline, and that's fine. But there's still the core, hardcore part of the, the experience that's there. And people who try to knock that down and say it doesn't matter, like, they need to look at players like Tokido, Daigo, Punk, Knuckledoo, etc., who play a lot online, who get a good portion of their practice there, and they're getting extremely good at those levels of play, and kind of check themselves a little bit. Uh, check themselves before they wreck themselves, right? And realize like, hey, you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity to train and to improve and to get very, very good at the game. Yeah, it's because it, your Grandmaster rank doesn't mean you're going to beat Daigo, you know, kind of thing. But maybe you're going to actually do pretty well against him when you play him in tournament, you know, kind of thing. It's it, you have to be really careful of what people tell you to to do or not do. It's a it's a copycat kind of game. It's like, well, infiltration plays Monot this way. It's like, well, why don't you play her a different way? Why don't you try your own thing and not try to carbon copy what he's doing? If you find success in something, if you see a way of, of improvement and that you're accomplishing something, like stick with it, you know, kind of thing. It doesn't mean you have to be as good as infiltration or anything like that. Just find your own little niche and, and go for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When uh, when I you, you referenced the Twitter, uh, the tweet that I had put out, um, I put a little joke with it. It's like, uh, finally reached Grandmaster rank in Street Fighter. Uh, next stop, get out of pools at a major maybe. <laughs> and, and, and I think that the comedy there comes from the fact that, uh, well, one, this game is so competitive that mm-hmm. even achieving, you know, like like how many hours have to go into to playing to get to Grandmaster rank and things like that, how much practice went into that, and still even with that amount of, of training and such, it, it's so competitive that getting out of pools at a major is by no means guaranteed just because you've achieved something like that online. Um, but I do want to highlight that there are there are things that you can use in the online realm that really stick with you. I look at um, uh, 801 Strider, who plays in Utah. That's where he's from. And obviously, he gets plenty of practice when he travels and goes to majors. But when he's at home, he's like, there, there really isn't much of a scene. And there certainly isn't anybody there that really gives him a run for his money. So he doesn't even really have the option of playing locally and leveling up. Uh, against other players uh, of of his caliber and so what is his what is his resource well he plays online a lot and he goes into the training mode now he's able to play against players that are that are you know they take on those scrubbier um, tactics and approaches and and he'll be ready for those like you know random wake up dps all the time and he's also able to hang with you know the the higher level players he's in capcom cup last year Mm -hmm. and and he's been you know absolutely a name to watch out for he's in e-league today yep and and so you know, th- there's kind of a testament just him in and of itself, uh, in in and of himself, that you know you can be a, a, a use online as your main training grounds and still, um, you know, be a, a successful tournament player. Um, but it is easy to fall into traps if you play exclusively online. And so one of the things, like th- there are plenty of, of things that you can uh, that you can use online for, but one of the things I think that's really important is uh, if if you are trying to level up through and through and be consistent both online and offline uh, you can use this this medium to practice something uh, one of the very first things I would say is is use it to practice anti-airs and one of the first things you have to do uh, if you're going to practice anything is uh, get rid of the get rid of your care for points and we've talked about trying to uh, to play for points versus to play for learning a, a bunch of times just you and I um, and it's like impossible like you care when you when you lose and you see it you know pop up minus 120 um, LP and whatever it's like it's the worst feeling in the world and I get that but if you can you know separate yourself from that for just a little bit and and just focus on one little thing at a time uh, just to level up that one thing about your gameplay 
Uh, it's super important. So one of the things for me, I was stuck between about super and ultra diamond for quite some time. I had plateaued, and uh, then Nikali's standing jab got nerfed, so you can't really use it as a consistent anti-air anymore. And what I was finding is, uh, I was actually at ultra diamond AE drop, and I dropped significantly down into super diamond. And that, a huge part of that was because I was still using this bad habit of, of trying to anti-air with jab. And if you think about the the idea of anti-airing, jumping in. And, uh, and and landing that successful hit, and especially if you try to anti-air with jab and you get counter hit, that's like 300 to 400 damage, plus you're getting forced towards the corner, plus they usually get to follow that up with another offensive turn, versus, you know, the, the other way, if you successfully anti-air, you score about 100 damage for yourself, you get the offense, and you keep all that life. Mm -hmm. And in Street Fighter V, like that kind of momentum and that kind of a swing can very, very easily, you know, dictate the outcome of a round. Um, so every single time someone jumps at you, even if you don't get hit, you just block it, uh, that's still a huge loss, right, if you're not anti-airing. So to get to the point where you can successfully continuously anti-air with, if you have a DP, great. If not, I mean, characters have anti-airs, you know, it's just you have to... You have to be good at it. it. But if that becomes part of your game, oh my gosh, does it open up so many other uh, avenues. And, and, and it strengthens all of those things too because now you've taken away a huge um, tool from, from your opponent. So um, I, I, I use online for quite some time just focusing on getting my anti-airs down. Like no matter what, if this opponent goes in the air, I'm going to be ready to anti-air. And, and it took a long time even though i've been playing fighting games for quite some time uh, but once i got consistent at that or more consistent i should say uh, it, it changed everything and that's just one thing so so going online and just practicing that you can very very much benefit from it so i would very much suggest doing that as opposed to just going on and, and just doing whatever your your knee-jerk reactions say to do that's where you kind of run into problems and you can kind of develop some some bad habits online but instead playing with intent and focus on very specific specific avenues of your gameplay is is huge and you can very much do that online yep it, you can work very heavily on your mental game online you know it's things are not going to go your way with leg and different things that happen and whatnot and being able to keep your composure especially in a game with street fighter 5's complete volatility like it's we've talked before about this game being a gigantic roller coaster of highs and lows uh the highs are really high because you you make a couple reads on someone and you blow them up and you feel just amazing the same thing happens to you in reverse and you feel like you're the worst player ever. You lost to, you know, Laura hitting, you know, uh, standing heavy punch like over and over again in command throw and you're done, you know, kind of thing. And it, the game is very brutal. It's not forgiving at all. But a couple of minor changes actually can make a, a difference here. And you had a story actually about running into 801 Strider's Laura online and he was using light thunderclap against you. And you had a little technique that you used that actually changed things that he told you about, right? Yeah, we were we were training together a few days ago, just running a whole bunch of first to five sets. And at the beginning, he was just steamrolling me. I was going, it was going like one and five or zero oh and five, quite pretty consistently. And I'm like, man, I, I feel like there's nothing I can do here. I'm, I'm playing the neutral, but it's not good enough or something. He's like, no, your neutral's fine. There's just one little thing that I'm getting away with. You're letting me do light thunderclap, and so Laura throws her fireball out there, and then she gets to kind of follow it, and that shuts down almost anything I can do, and if I try to get around it, she has answers for everything. So it's like, once that's out there, I'm pretty screwed. But he's like, you can just walk up. If you see it on reaction, just crouching short, low short, that's it. You'll tag her in the foot, it'll do like, 15 damage or however much it is and then and the the fireball will go away and you'll take that tool away and learning that and then incorporating it into my gameplay that changed everything instantly and immediately the, the sets became more competitive and it was just this one little thing the smallest the, like the littlest move in the game right it's low short but it, it made all the difference in that matchup so and sometimes let me, let me ask you this though how did you feel before you learned about that like how were you helpless. feeling about Right, right. And, and I mean, you, you just you probably felt like you were several steps below 801 Strider in terms of your abilities, right? Like just this guy is way better than me. I can't do anything like is that how you were feeling? Absolutely. And and so what that you know, the, the takeaway there is that there are times where you feel like, oh, my gosh, this other player that's just steamrolling me. They are so much better in so many different categories when and sometimes that might be the case. Um, but sometimes it's just this one little thing about your game and you tweak that one little thing, 
you got anti-air suddenly. You know that crouching short beats that fireball in that in that range, and that's all it will take to level up the rest of your game or unlock the rest of your game. And all of a sudden, you take away that one thing that they're being able to abuse, and that turns it on its head. And now you're beating them, or at least you've you've significantly narrowed the gap. And and so I say, like, even if you're feeling like nothing's going your way, especially in individual matchups, sometimes it's just one little tweak away from massive drastic changes. So have a little hope there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Street Fighter V in a nutshell. The game is brutal. You you mess up on one little thing and you're dead. You know, kind of thing. And it's ugh, you have to take a step back and realize that, you know, a, a couple minor mistakes and you've lost a round. And you'll see pro players do this in tournament. I watch Knuckle Doo do it all the time and He'll, he'll get blown up in one round and you'll just sit and he's just rubbing his chin going, hmm, like what, what did I do wrong there? And it's like in other games, you, you'd be like, I just got perfected by Scrub Boy 15, you know, kind of thing. No offense to anyone out there actually named Scrub Boy 15. That's kind of our, our go-to, you know, name uh, that we, we, we call out there. But, you know, if you lose to Scrub Boy 15, you're pissed off. Like you're like, ah, you know, kind of thing. I, I can't believe I lost to this guy. Uh, but the pro players have kind of learned like, look, one, it's Street Fighter Five and to its tournament you know kind of thing it, it, how many times have we seen Fudo Daigo whomever on the ropes down to their last sliver of health uh, in pools and all of a sudden they pull out something amazing and they win you know kind of thing they're keeping their composure they're keeping their head in the game one of the things that Daigo talks about in his book and, and has talked about in interviews as well is if you're consciously thinking of wins and losses, like, oh man, I can't let Scrub Boy 15 beat me. If he beats me, what's going to happen? Like, I'm going to, you know, I, I I just have to go jump off a bridge or something like that. Like, like a fraud. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest fraud ever. It, if that's going through your mind, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage when you're playing because you're no longer thinking about how to win or how to counter and other things like that. Like, you're thinking about if you win or lose. Your focus is on something that basically you're not really controlling. You can control how well you play. You can control your execution and other things like that, keeping calm, keeping your wits about you. Uh, the outcome of if you win or lose is pretty much like it's dictated on how well you play. Like you don't have like direct control. Like you can't will yourself to win every single time, you know, kind of thing. It's uh, it's like I'm playing infiltration. Well, I'm super confident I'm going to win. I'm just going to win, you know, kind of thing. It's uh, it's in, you know, when something goes wrong, inevitably, like it does with Street Fighter V, because the game can turn on a dime that that facade that you've built up just crumbles instantly and now you're in so much trouble because instead of staying even killed uh you are you're you're in a, you're in a big time problem situation and you've got to pull yourself out of it and and recovering and time in street fighter 5 is very very hard and so you you just want to find that middle ground never too high never too low um enjoy your wins when you get them don't take your losses too hard you know, kind of thing. And when you when you don't do that, you're setting yourself up for failure in the long run. Well, I think that uh, that about rounds it all up here for this week's podcast. Um, I've been John Velociraptor Guerrero, and with me is El Presidente, John Catalyst Gray. Um, if you guys could, uh, if you're listening to this and it's helping you out at all, or you have any friends that um, that you think could benefit from it, please, please share this with them. We're really hoping to continue to grow and evolve this podcast um, and, and reach as many people as possible with it. So we very, very much appreciate if you could go on to iTunes and, and leave us a review. Five-star reviews are, are major, um, especially for podcasts trying to get off the ground here. So again, uh, much appreciated if you could do something like that for us. Please leave any comments questions concerns things you like things you didn't like because this is a pretty new thing for us the new baby and we're trying to make it as best as possible as we can for you guys so thank you very much uh anything else from you john nope just uh really appreciate the support we've gotten so far we've gotten a lot of really nice feedback online uh thank you guys so much for taking the time to reach out to us and to even listen to the podcast uh before we put this up we were kind of like yeah like we're gonna get like five people uh in the next year like checking it out you know kind of thing <laughs> and, and it's been really good so far uh so much appreciate the, the feedback and support from you guys and uh, whatever you can do to help us out there it makes a huge difference just by telling your friends uh, leaving reviews online or leaving a comment it's it's really nice to see and yeah all right guys well we will see you next week thanks so much and have a good one thank you guys